and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We are your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hello, Lauren. <laughs> How is everything? Everything's great. You know, I'm, you know, getting used to my new job and um, things are going good. That's awesome. Everything's coming up LT. Great. How are things with Jewel? Pretty good. Yeah. Um, randomly. So every so often, somebody will... Um, asked me like what's the weirdest thing we have in our you know in the archives oh yeah and you know for working in a you know museum that focuses on toys and video games like yeah. I have a lot of weird things sure but one thing that my one intern Rob shout out to Rob if you're listening hey Rob um that he was like so in shock that he found when he was processing a collection oh was a piece of the Berlin Wall oh <laughs> right but he like he's younger oh he's yeah like, yeah what? What? Why, why do we have this <laughs> like why is this here and it was just like in a collection with like some video game designers papers uh-huh. or whatever it was just like oh yeah by the way here's an envelope that has a chunk of the berlin wall and like his reaction to that has just kind of stuck with me so pure it, <laughs> awesome. um but you know every now and then you think about it mm-hmm. like we were alive for part of the berlin wall but but we don't really know about it do we no i mean I mean, I remember um, uh, seeing a clip of David Hasselhoff singing and dancing on the yeah. top of it. Yep. That's probably my most that's vivid memory. Yeah. yeah. But other than that, no. Well, that's what I'm talking about today. Great. We're going to tear down this wall. Damn it. All in all, it's just a brick in the wall. So the Berlin Wall. Um Ultimately, the symbol of the Cold War for 28 years. So after World War II, control of Germany was divided between the Allies. So although Berlin lay within the Soviet zone of of Germany that they were kind of, you know, that they took control of, Mm -hmm. it was also divided among the American, British, French, and Soviet rule. So in the years after the war, so many citizens left East Berlin for the relative freedom of the other zones that the USSR began construction of the guarded concrete barrier wall in 1961, effectively isolating West Berlin. So approximately 5,000 people still escaped to the free zones and 138 people were killed in their attempt to escape. The barrier that was eventually erected on the city's east-west border stood for nearly three decades, but on November 9th, 1989, the wall and its effective purpose fell under pressure from thousands of protesters and refugees. East and West Germany were formally reunited in 1990. So let's go back to the beginning. Yeah, please. Around the end of World War II and the German surrender in 1945, we had the pair of peace conferences in Potsdam and Yalta. So at the Yalta conference, the Allies, who are the U.S., the U.K., and the Soviet Union, agreed on dividing a defeated Nazi Germany into occupation zones and on dividing Berlin, the German capital, among the Allied powers as well. So initially, this meant that the construction of three zones of occupation were there. So we had the American, the British, and the Soviet, but later a French zone was also carved out of the American and British portions. So as early as 1945, Soviet leader Joseph Stalin revealed to German communist leaders that he expected to slowly undermine the British position within the British occupation zone, that the U.S. would withdraw within a year or two, and that nothing would then stand in the way of a united communist Germany within the bloc. So early on, there are some plans. Yeah. 
So Germany's capital, Berlin, as the seat of the Allied Control Council, uh, was similarly subdivided into four sectors, despite the city's location that was fully within the Soviet zone. So the western side was a democratic enclave on Berlin's western side, while Soviets controlled the eastern side of the city. And the western side received upgrades and benefits from the U.S., Britain, and France, while the eastern side was basically milked by the Soviets for war reparations and was described as a socialist workers and peasants state. Uh, the Soviet zone surrounded West Berlin, but did not include it. So as a result, West Berlin remained outside the jurisdiction of um, of the, the Soviet occupation. Okay. And in 1948, following disagreements regarding reconstruction and a new German currency, Stalin instituted the Berlin blockade, which prevented food materials and supplies from arriving in West Berlin. And the US, UK, France, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand began a massive airlift supplying West Berlin with food and other supplies. Wow. So the Soviets have the East, and okay. the U.S., Britain, and France each got a piece of the West, which is now at this point also known as the Federal Republic of Germany. Um, so that was around from 1949 to 1990, and uh, Bonn was the provisional capital of West Germany, wow. B-O-N-N. Um, as West Germany was reorganized and gained independence from its occupiers, the German Democratic Republic, or GDR, was established in East Germany in 1949. So... The Federal Republic of Germany is West Germany, uh -huh. and the German Democratic Republic is East Germany. Okay. Um, and the Soviets are kind of controlling East Germany okay. at this point in time. So by the early 1950s, the Soviet approach to controlling national movement, restricting emigration, was emulated by the most of the rest of the Eastern Bloc, including East Germany. So up until 1952, the demarcation lines between East Germany and the Western occupied zones could be easily crossed in most places. Um, in April 1952, East German leaders met with Stalin in Moscow. And during the discussions, it was proposed that the East Germans should introduce a system of passes for visits of West Berlin residents to the territory of East Berlin so as to stop free movement to Western agents huh. in the GDR. So Stalin agreed and he advised the East Germans to build up their border defenses, telling them that the demarcation between East and West Germany should be considered a border and not just any border, but a dangerous one. Hmm. So the Soviets are taking over their, like their allotments of Germany. They're taking them over and they're trying to like absorb them into their, yeah, basically into their realm. That's crazy. It's, it gets worse. Okay. So between 1949 and 1961, almost 3 million people defected from East Germany to the West and almost wow. all went through Berlin. So each day, thousands of Berliners on each side crossed the border in order to work and shop. And though the city sat some 100 miles from the actual East-West border, defectors from the East were able to escape into the West due to this loophole. So it's like we have Germany. Say you have Germany. Okay. It's a big I'm circle. It. It's okay. split in half. Okay. Okay. And in the half that the Soviets have... Berlin is actually within that whole thing. The entirety of Berlin. The entirety of Berlin is within the Soviet side. Oh, okay. But Berlin is also split in half. Okay. So half of Berlin that is in the Soviet side uh -huh. is actually part of the West. I see. And the okay. other half of Berlin belongs to the Soviets. Oh. So the people who are like, this is getting bad. Yeah. We got to get out of here. Surrounded on if all they sides. they were on that, if they were in the East and they were in Berlin... They were trying to cross into West Berlin because then they would have a way to get out of East Germany. That's interesting. See, because I always thought of it as like a like a cookie divided right in half and Berlin is in the middle of that cookie. No. And then, you know, you got your east and west side. But no, the the entirety of Berlin the entirety was of in Berlin. the east side. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. I can see how that would be extremely dangerous. Yes. So that All was right. like their loophole. Mm hmm. 
So in the two and a half months prior to the wall going up, more than 67,000 people defected to the West, many of them doctors, teachers, students, and engineers. So roughly half were younger than age 25. Uh, Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev called this exodus brain drain. Oh, yes, I've heard of this. Mm -hmm. Okay. And on August 13th, 1961, the GDR closed the border between the two sides. So basically, unlike ancient walls built in China and northern England, um, the Berlin Wall, which was also known as Daimauer or Berliner Mauer, which is the wall or the Berlin Wall. It wasn't constructed to repel invaders. It was thrown together and manned to stop the incessant flow of Germans escaping oh, to okay. live and work in the West. And with the closing of the East-West sector boundary in Berlin, the vast majority of East Germans could no longer travel or emigrate to West Germany. Berlin soon went from being the easiest place to make an unauthorized crossing between East and West Germany to becoming the most difficult. Wow. Many families were split. East Berliners employed in the West were cut off from their jobs and West Berlin became an isolated exclave in a hostile land. That's crazy. Scary. Yeah, and also that's, imagine like, it's just a city mm-hmm. that they just threw a wall willy-nilly through the middle of. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like you got your cousin who lives on the other side of yeah. the or you're like your job or your favorite grocery store. Right. Like, what if the Wegmans is on the east side? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, Rochester would not be able to no, handle No, they would be able to handle that. Also, you know, war. <laughs> <laughs> That too. True. True. Um, GDR authorities officially referred to the Berlin Wall as the anti-fascist protection rampart, along with the separate and much longer inner German border, also known as the IGB, which demarcated the border between East and West Germany. It came to symbolize physically the Iron Curtain that separated Western Europe and the Eastern Bloc during the Cold War. To build the wall, GDR troops ripped apart the surface of the Friedrich Ebert Strasse and piled the loose chunks into a makeshift barrier while armed guards stood in front, ready to shoot any East Germans who tried to defect. So this oh is God. like somebody tearing up the interstate highway and deciding that these chunks are now a wall, a, a border. That's crazy. Um, barbed wire and posts were hastily added to lengthen and secure the makeshift structure, which eventually wound irregularly through the city and surrounding countryside and measured approximately 96 miles long. Although initially built with wayward parts, concrete slabs, and housing materials, over time, as people found a way to escape, the wall became more elaborate. In 1963, a border area was added behind the wall, which was reinforced with individual barriers and additional fencing. The wall topped out at 12 feet in places, topped with a smooth pipe that made climbing over nearly impossible. Apartment buildings that straddled the border were either abandoned or torn down, and in the 70s, an inner wall was built to eliminate access to the main fence. The wall cut through neighborhoods, separating friends and families, and in addition to the concrete and barbed wire, the 96.3-mile wall came with 302 observation towers, 259 dog runs, 20 bunkers manned by more than 11,000 soldiers, and more than 79 miles of electrified fencing. Oh my gosh. This is getting that's out of control out of control out of control so through the years the berlin wall evolved through four versions so 1961 it's a wire fence with a concrete block wall 1962 to 1965 they improve it by adding a wire fence oh okay 65 to 75 they improve it by adding concrete walls and then by some 1975 to 1989 they have what they called grenzmauer 75 border wall 75 so it's like when you're looking at cnn footage in the 80s of the berlin wall that's what that is the grenzmauer 75 yeah with all the graffiti on it and everything yes yeah 
So there were nine border crossings between East and West Berlin, which allowed visits by West Berliners, other West Germans, Western foreigners, and allied personnel into East Berlin, as well as visits by GDR citizens and citizens of other socialist countries into West Berlin, provided that they held the necessary permits. So they weren't completely isolated, but you had to go through these specific checkpoints and you had to have the right paperwork. So these crossings were restricted according to which nationality was allowed to use it. And the most famous was the vehicle and pedestrian checkpoint at the corner of Friedrichstrasse and Zimmerstrasse, also known as Checkpoint Charlie, uh, okay. which was restricted to allied personnel and foreigners. Okay. So the name Charlie came from the letter C in the NATO phonetic alphabet. Yes. And similarly, for other allied checkpoints on the Autobahn from the West was Checkpoint Alpha at Homestead and Checkpoint Bravo at um, Drylinden and Wansi in the southwest corner of Berlin. Uh, British spy James Bond, played by Roger Moore, passed through Checkpoint Charlie in the 1983 film Octopussy going from West Berlin to East Berlin. Sure, sure. So that's probably the most famous of the checkpoints. Interesting. For any East German attempting to escape, a 30 to 150 meter stretch called the Death Strip was put in place to halt defectors and stop any potential attacks. Along with the floodlights was a line of anti-tank barricades, a signal fence that activated an alarm, beds of nails called Stalin's Lawn, (laughs) uh, buried mines, and electrified fencing. There was a row of freshly raked sand added to show footprints. Wow. And armed guards and towers had orders to shoot any would-be defector if the other measures were ineffective. Oh, my God. They also used what they called Czech hedgehogs, um, which were static anti-tank obstacle defenses made of metal angle beams or I-beams. That is like lengths with an L or an I-shaped cross-section. So like big friggin chunks of metal that are like they kind of look like jacks oh like giant jacks yes so they're not like cute little hedgehogs no they're called no no. big giant metal jacks that you can't drive your tank through are called check hedgehogs um the hedgehog is very effective in keeping light to medium tanks and vehicles from penetrating line of defense Mm. and it maintains its function even when tipped over by a nearby explosion so wow they're serious they were not (sighs) kidding around um some of the people that you had to worry about then too were the Stasi. So that's the Ministry for State Security. Um, in German, it's Ministerium for Staatssicherheit or State Security Service, commonly known as the Stasi. Um, that was the official state security service of the German Democratic Republic in East Germany. It has been described as one of the most effective and repressive intelligence and secret police agencies to have ever existed. Uh, the Stasi was headquartered in East Berlin with an extensive complex in Berlin-Lichtenberg and several smaller facilities throughout the city. One of its main tasks was spying on the population, mainly through a vast network of citizens turned informants and fighting any opposition by overt and covert measures, including hidden psychological destruction of dissidents. God. It... Oh my it's, God. This is bad. It's so, so bad. Numerous Stasi officials were prosecuted for their crimes after 1990. Good. Um, after German reunification, the surveillance files that the Stasi had maintained on millions of East Germans were laid open so that any citizen could inspect their personal file on request. And these files are now maintained by the Federal Commissioner for the Stasi records in Germany. Oh so, gosh. in like library school, this was like a subject, like this was a big case study. It oh, was yeah. Back in the 90s, like the Stasi's files became open and it was like, oh crap, like what can we do with these? Yeah. So you, these people knew that the government had, you know, thousands of files and maybe they were in them, but they were like, oh, it could be like really bad though if you're yeah. we like, yeah, turns out your neighbor Jim has been t- 
tattling on, on you. you to the government for oh, the last yeah. 20 years because you put your garbage out wrong. Yeah. He, you know, thinks that you're, that means that you're signaling to somebody that you're actually a spy and all this stuff. Wow. So you have to have like, like you are allowed to look at your records, but like you have to sign things that like you're not going to sue anybody and, but oh, nobody yeah. else is allowed to look at your records. It's, it's, I see. It's a that's crazy. That's really very intense thing that I do, cannot think of anything similar that's ever happened in the U.S. that no, we would have to deal not. with. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, some people manage to escape, though. Okay. How, I was going to ask you how and how many. <laughs> so some estimates put the number of people who died attempting to cross to the West at more than 200. But a German research group has confirmed 138 deaths. Um, stories abound of East Germans flying balloons, ramming cars through the wall, jumping out of windows and shimming down a wire to escape. About 5,000 people were able to make it of oh, wow. an estimated 10,000 who tried between 1961 and 1989. Most, however, used bribes and forged documents to leave. Okay. Um, but here's a roundup of some of the more unique and ingenious ways people made it across the wall. I'm so excited. Under, over, through, or around. Okay. So under. In the early days of the wall, tunneling underneath it was the most popular way through. Sure. Some tunnels were dug under basements and others through sewers. A dozen people escaped through Der Senior Tunnel, which oh. is the senior citizens tunnel, oh which gosh. began at a chicken coop and was constructed by a group of elderly citizens led by an 81-year-old man. Oh, um, yeah. You're never going to... You know what? They never guess that it's the elderly. Yeah. Yeah, that's also very smart. on purpose. They made it be like as tall as they were because the one man was like, "I don't want to have to crawl to freedom with my wife. Like, I want to be able to walk, walk with dignity." Into, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, there's some dignity in that. And there was another ingenious access point that was in the Pankow Municipal Cemetery, where students turned a well-kept gravestone into a hidden tunnel doorway. That's cool. And more than twenty people were able to escape through this tunnel before the Stasi discovered it and sealed it off. But. You know, you can't go under. You'll try going over. Yeah. Um, East German border guards had shoot to kill orders. So going over the wall meant basically certain death. Yeah. But many attempts were still made, including one man who successfully climbed over the nine foot steel mesh fence using meat hooks. What? Um, <laughs> That's so yeah. badass. Yep. Uh, we also have East German acrobat Horst Klein, um, who made one of the most daring escapes over the wall in early 1963. Uh, thanks to his acrobatic skill, Klein was able to turn an unused high-tension cable that stretched over the wall into his route as he moved hand over hand while dangling from the cable 60 feet over the heads of patrolling guards. That's awesome. And then when his arms became fatigued, he swung his whole body up over the cable and inched his way along. For his dismount, he fell off the cable, but he landed in West Berlin. <laughs> That's awesome. On March 31st, 1983, friends Michael Becker and Holger Bethke took Klein's idea one step further by letting gravity do the heavy lifting for them. They climbed to the attic of a five-story building on the eastern side of the wall and fired an arrow tied to a thin fishing line over a building in West Berlin. An accomplice grabbed the arrow and reeled in the line, which was then connected with a slightly heavier fishing line, then to a quarter-inch steel cable. Once the steel cable was attached to a chimney on the western side of the wall, Becker and Bethke zipped across the quarter-inch cable using wooden poles. Police. Amazing. And the escape orchestrated by Hans Strelzik and Gunter Wetzel in 1979 is basically out of a comic book. Um, Strelzik, who is a mechanic, and Wetzel, who is a mason, used their mechanical know-how to build a hot air balloon engine out of old propane cylinders. Their wives then pieced together a makeshift balloon from scraps of canvas and old bedsheets. And on September 16th, 1979, the two couples and their four children floated up 8,000 feet and drifted over the wall to freedom. That's so romantic. And this has inspired a film called Night Crossing. I was going to say, they, if they didn't make a movie, <laughs> they very should. very cinematic. 
Oh, that's beautiful. All right. So we tried going under. We tried going over. Okay. How about through? Oh, boy. Uh, so going through the wall, that seems like a tough order. Yeah. Uh, but many people hacked automobiles, like by enlarging the fuel tank, constructing a fake double door to conceal a person beneath, or modifying a seat to squeeze someone into. Oh, okay. So, um, so there was still, you know, there's checkpoints yeah. still technically that you just have to have the right paperwork. Um, but in a, in a very audacious car hack in 1963, Heinz Mixner removed the windshield of his tiny convertible, and when the border guards attempted to detain him at the checkpoint he ducked down floored the accelerator and sailed under the barrier to the west (laughs) what (laughs) man the germans they're so industrious Uh, clever oh man and um according to a reporter some border crossers simply approached the guards and flashed their membership cards for munich's playboy club because these no. cards so closely resemble diplomatic passports that the guards often wave them are through. you serious <laughs> that's amazing yeah. yeah i mean i guess you'd be bored as a border patrol guy yeah. like i yeah, yeah go. all right So if you couldn't find a way over, under, or through the wall, the only thing left to do was figure out a way around it. So in the early days of the wall, many people swam across the Spree River. But in 1965, metal spikes were set into the water just under the surface, which became a deterrent. Um, So that left taking the oceanic route out of Germany altogether. And in November 1986, Dirk Deckert and Karsten Klinder made it to Denmark by surfing through the frigid ocean for six hours. What? And the following year, an unidentified man paddled from east to west germany across the baltic sea on an air mattress no oh my god um finally much earlier in 1967 burnt botker a chemical worker who'd been expelled from engineering school spent a year constructing the first mini submarine with an internal combustion motor once he completed the sub in 1968 he rode in it for 16 miles at three miles an hour escaping to denmark an internal combustion engine inside this the submarine submarine with him in it dangerous yep Good for him, he though. made it out. Hey, three miles an hour? That's faster so, than walking, isn't yeah. it? Wait, no. <laughs> a little it's bit faster than, than swimming. Faster than getting shot? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Better than getting shot. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. All right. That's so awesome. this is all this is all very crazy. Oh, yeah. No, it's out of control. But but don't worry. Like, the rest of the world is has got this. Yeah. So there's a lot of growing anti-wall sentiment sure. from everywhere. 1963, June 26th, you got JFK's Ich bin ein Berliner speech. Yep. Um, so this is the support of the U.S. for West Germany and the people of West Berlin in particular. 1987, on June 6th, David Bowie, who earlier for several years lived and recorded in West Berlin, yeah. played a concert close to the wall. So this was attended by thousands of Eastern concert goers across the wall and followed by violent rioting in East Berlin. In 1987, June 12th, uh, Ronald Reagan, he's at the Brandenburg Gate doing sure. a speech commemorating the 750th anniversary of Berlin. He challenged Mikhail Gorbachev, um, who was then General Secretary of the Communist Party of Soviet Union, to tear down the wall as a symbol for increasing freedom in the Eastern Bloc. Mm. 1988, uh, July 19th, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band played Rocking the Wall, a live concert in East Berlin, which was attended by 300,000 people in person and broadcast delayed on television. Springsteen spoke to the crowd in German saying, I'm not here for or against any government. I've come to play rock and roll for you in the hope that one day all the barriers will be torn down. Oh, I love Bruce. Can I tell you? <laughs> He's just mm, class act. And everybody loves Bruce Springsteen music. Yeah. 
Germans, Americans, everybody. New Jersey. New Jersey. People from New Jersey, which is a separate category of people, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And your last big concert, 1989, December oh, 31st, yes. David Hasselhoff, mm-hmm. headlining performer for the Freedom Tour live concert, attended by more than half a million people on both sides of the wall. And the live concert footage aired on broadcast television throughout Europe. During shooting, film crew personnel pulled people up from both sides to stand and celebrate on top of the wall. So it's 1989. There's a series of revolutions in nearby Eastern Bloc countries. So Poland and Hungary in particular. Um, They caused a chain reaction in East Germany that ultimately resulted in the demise of the wall. After several weeks of civil unrest, the East German government announced on November 9th, 1989, that all GDR citizens could visit West Germany and West Berlin. Crowds of East Germans crossed and climbed down to the wall, joined by West Germans on the other side in a celebratory atmosphere. And over the next few weeks, euphoric people and souvenir hunters chipped away parts of the wall the governments later used industrial equipment to remove most of what was left so the fall of the berlin wall paved the way for german reunification which formally took place on october 3rd 1990 um, demolition of the wall officially began on june 13th 1990 and finished in 1992 basically every city in the u.s has a piece of the berlin wall uh, yeah i was gonna say um poor rob i mean everybody's <laughs> got a piece of the berlin wall yeah. yeah i we had one at my house it was in like a little Velvet bag with a little drawstring. Yeah. Some <laughs> some enterprising Germans were like, you know, we could do with this. Well, there are still souvenir shops and street stands in Germany that sell matchbox sized chunks of colored concrete that they claim are oh like totally 100% real bits of the Berlin Wall. Yeah. How is anybody supposed to know? It was 70 miles long. <laughs> uh, whatever. Like, how do you know? What are you going to do? Carbon date it? Come yeah, on. Yeah. So at you know, at 96.3 miles long, the Berlin Wall was and is a colossal souvenir able to be divided and dispatched to memorial spots around the world. And the U.S. has scored some prime segments, many of which still sit in public places. There is a woman who is in love with the Berlin Wall. Oh, is this like a Maury thing? No, no. She's <laughs> she's an objectum sexual. She's in love with inanimate objects. Um, and she, for a long time, was in love with the Berlin Wall. And then uh, they broke up, and then she got with the Eiffel broke Tower up because she because it got torn down. Or no, no, this was post. <laughs> post she Berlin had a Wall. chunk of it. No, no, she um, she was in love. She had a, a model of it that she would sleep with, and then one day she got to uh, spend the night in an old like a uh, uh, tower from the Berlin Wall, like oh one God. of the like an observation tower, like an observation tower. Yeah, and she was so thrilled. Um, and that, but then they broke up and then now she's with, she got married to the Eiffel Tower and she changed her last name to Eiffel. It's a, uh, yeah. I mean, you know what? She's not hurting anybody. I mean, whatever. God bless her. But yeah, she was in love with the Berlin Wall. And one of the reasons why she said she was in love with it was because he was, it was a he, by the way. Okay. The Eiffel Tower is a she. Um, the Berlin Wall, uh, she said it seemed like it was something that was unloved and needed love and cried out for love. And so she felt it. She took it upon herself to love it. What a thing. Yeah. I watched a couple of TV shows about it. Some, yeah, My Strange Obsession and uh, a whole like thing on objectum sexuals. It's great. I mean, I love weirdo stuff like that. So anyway, the Berlin Wall has a lover is what I'm saying to you. There you have it. There you have it. There you have it, everybody. <laughs> All right. And now it's time for a quiz. All right. Hit the, me with a quiz. The quiz is called Checkmate Charlie. Okay. This is a quiz on chess and code words in the NATO phonetic alphabet. 
Ready? Question one. Name that word, the only one in the NATO phonetic alphabet that is a capital city. Question two. You might want to say a little prayer if you haven't broken out your old chess set lately. Of the six different pieces on a standard chessboard, what is the only piece that remains on the same color square regardless of its movements throughout the entire game? Question three. Name that word, the only one in the native phonetic alphabet which has its own page on a monthly calendar. Question four. In 1980, Professor Edward Fredkin challenged computer scientists to dive in and develop a computer that would beat the best human chess player in the world. And in 1997, IBM was finally able to claim the $100,000 prize with their computer named what? Question five. Name the two title characters from the works of William Shakespeare that are also words in the NATO phonetic alphabet. Question six, teach a boy to play chess and he'll play for a lifetime or something like that. Which legendary and problematic chess grandmaster who famously defeated Soviet champion Boris Spassky at the World Chess Championship in 1972 became the recipient of a warrant for his arrest after playing a 1992 rematch with Spassky in Yugoslavia? Question 7. Name that word, the only one in the NATO phonetic alphabet that refers to a player of a certain pinstriped Major League Baseball team. Question 8. True or false, in the game of chess, there is one allowable play where two pieces are permitted to be moved during one turn. Question 9. Multiple choice. Which of these famous names does not contain at least one word from the NATO phonetic alphabet? A. Delta Burke. B. Henry Miller. C. Tom Papa. Or D. Oscar Wilde. And finally, question 10. The 1984 musical Chess is about a politically driven Cold War era chess tournament between two grandmasters, one American, one Soviet, and their fight over a woman who manages one and falls in love with the other. While the lyrics to Chess were written by Tim Rice, the music was composed by two members of which Swedish pop group who took a chance and later developed another smash hit musical? I'll give you about a minute to think and we'll be back with your answers. You got this? I'll go over the phonetic alphabet at the end. But oh, please do, because I know only a couple, because Dave Tag used to work for the airport. So, you know, like Alpha Bravo, Charlie, like all that. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember a lot of it. Uh-huh. The middle part. The middle oh, part. The middle just- part of it. <laughs> Although I did guess um, the one from Learned League the other day. That's good. I got golf. Yeah. So I got Alpha Bravo, Charlie. Okay, go okay. ahead. All go right. Ahead, go ahead. 
Question one. Yeah. Name that word. The only one in the NATO phonetic alphabet that is a capital city. <sighs> I don't know. Um, Jakarta. Lima. Lima. Poop. All right. Lima. L is Lima. Uh, two, you might want to say a little prayer if you haven't broken out your old chess set lately. Of the six different pieces on a standard chessboard, what is the only piece that remains in the same color square regardless of its movements throughout the whole game? That is a bishop. The bishop. And I will tell you, I knew that without the hint. Great. Because I was taught to play chess at some point in my life and I'm bad at it and I haven't played since, but somehow I remembered that the bishop has to stay in the diagonals. Yes, the bishop stays in the same color square the whole time um, that it's you know, starts the game on. Yeah. So the bishop has no restrictions in distance for each move, but it is limited to a diagonal movement. So bishops, like all other pieces except the knight, cannot jump over other pieces. A bishop captures by occupying the square on which an enemy piece sits, and the bishops may be differentiated according to which wing they begin on. So the king's bishop or the queen's bishop. And as a consequence of its diagonal movement, each bishop always remains on either the white or black square. And so it is common to also refer to them as light squared or dark squared bishops. Bishop was always my favorite piece because it's got that Muppet mouth. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I liked the rook. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Little castle. Nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Question three. Name that word. The only one in the native phonetic alphabet which has its own page on a monthly calendar. Uh, February. Nope. Uh, hold on. March. Nope. Uh, I got it. October. Uh, December. Damn it. All right. It's November. Oh, November. I was... I had like 10 more to go. You had, yep, you had a <laughs> one in 12 shot. <laughs> Question four. In 1980, Professor Edward Fredkin challenged computer scientists to dive in and develop a computer that would beat the best human chess player in the world. In 1987, IBM finally claimed that $100,000 prize with their computer named what? Um, what year was this? Say 1997. 1997? Was it Deep Blue? It is Deep Blue. Yeah. So on May 11th, 1997 in New York City, Deep Blue entered a rematch with Garry Kasparov, widely considered the best chess player of all time, in front of a large, excited audience. Kasparov won the first game, but Deep Blue took the second, tying the players. Then came three games that ended in draws. But in the sixth game, Kasparov made a mistake in the opening, and oh. Deep Blue won that sixth game quickly, winning the match, much to the astonishment of the crowd. Question five, name the two title characters from works of William Shakespeare that are also words in the NATO phonetic alphabet. Um, Coriolanus. No. Uh, sorry. Alpha Bravo Coriolanus. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. All right. When you say it like that, I guess it makes sense. Um, Tempest. No. You're going to kick yourself. Oh, Jesus. Is it Romeo and Juliet? It is Romeo and okay. Juliet. <laughs> Question six, teach a boy to play chess and he'll play for a lifetime or something like that. Which legendary and problematic chess grandmaster who famously defeated Soviet champion Boris Spassky at the World Chess Championships in 1972 became the recipient of a warrant for his arrest after playing a 1992 rematch with Spassky in Yugoslavia? That's Bobby Fischer. It is Bobby Fischer. I know a lot about chess all of a sudden. <laughs> all of a sudden. It's pulling that out Just from like third grade. Uh, yeah, Bobby Fischer, um, he was a very reclusive chess champion, um, but he ran afoul of a U.S. travel ban by competing in a 1992 chess match with Spassky in Yugoslavia. He never returned to the U.S., but was held in Japan in 2004 for traveling on an invalid U.S. passport. He eventually convinced Iceland to grant him citizenship, and he renounced his U.S. citizenship. Question seven, name that word. The only one in the native phonetic alphabet that refers to a player of a certain pinstripe Major League Baseball team. Yankee. It is Yankee. Why is Yankee? 
Question eight, true or false, in the game of chess, there is one allowable play where two pieces are permitted to be moved during one turn. Did you say true or false? Yeah. Um, I'm going to say true. It is true. Yes. Do you know what it is? I don't. It's castling. Castling? Castling okay. is the move in chess that involves a player's king and either of the player's original rooks, and it is the only move in chess in which a player moves two pieces in the same move. Castling consists of moving the king two squares toward a rook on the player's first rank, then moving the rook to the square over which the king has crossed. There are some conditions, though. Castling may only be done if the king has never moved. The rook involved has never moved. The squares between the king and the rook involved are unoccupied. The king is not in check, and the king does not cross over or end on a square in which it would be in check. Castling is an important goal in the opening of a match because it serves two valuable purposes. It moves the king into a safer position away from the center of the board, and it moves the rook to a more active position in the center of the board. And it is even possible to checkmate somebody with castling. Huh. So that's a thing I never no. employed. But nope. Question nine, multiple choice. Which of these famous names does not contain at least one word from the NATO phonetic alphabet? Okay, so I'll just do true or false. Uh, multiple choice. Multiple choice. Okay, it does not. I got you. It's not true or false. Which of these the does not contain at least one word from the NATO phonetic alphabet? Okay, lay it on me. A, Delta Burke. Okay. B, Henry Miller. Okay. C, Tom Papa. Okay. Or D, Oscar Wilde. I'm going to say C, Tom Papa. Okay. No. Ugh. It's B, Henry Miller. Damn it. H is hotel and M is Mike. Mike. Ready? Here's all of them. Okay, here we go. Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, Echo, Foxtrot, Golf, Hotel, India, Juliet, Kilo, Lima, Mike, November, Oscar, Papa, Quebec, Romeo, Sierra, Tango, Uniform, Victor, Whiskey, X-Ray, Yankee, Zulu. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And question 10. The 1984 musical Chess is about a politically driven Cold War area chess tournament. Uh, while the lyrics to Chess were written by Tim Rice, the music was composed by two members of which Swedish pop group who took a chance and later developed another smash hit musical? Uh, first of all, One Night in Bangkok is a great song from the chess soundtrack. It was a hit in the 1980s. It was I could sing it beginning to end for you, but I won't. And the band. We don't have the rights to it. You no, we don't have the rights to it. Uh, the band in question is ABBA. Yes. Yes. It yep, is. Yep, 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 yep. So um, Bjorn Ulvaeus and Benny Anderson of ABBA were um, the songwriters for chess. And they also co-wrote, you know, Mamma Mia. Yes. That the, other big one. The other big one. These people have so much money. It's not even funny. Well, that's it. Amazing. We did it. Thank you so much. That was great. Um, you could do the, the contact us. Yeah. Oh. If you want to contact us, you can get us at misinfopod at gmail.com, on Twitter at misinfopod, on Facebook at misinfopod. Information, misinformation, <laughs> a trivia podcast. Um, and we have a Facebook. Nope. And we have a website, <laughs> tripletop.missinfopod.com. Uh, and also, um, if you want to listen to us, if you're, you're listening to us right yeah. now, but if you want to Great. continue to Thank listen you. to us, you can get us on uh, iTunes uh, slash Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, um, uh, what else? Google Play. Google Play. And uh, using our RSS feed with any podcast app that you prefer. Please rate, review, subscribe. Please tell a friend. Uh, yes. Word of mouth is the best way to get information. 
So, and also our podcast is the way, the best way to get information. Sure. So, great. Um, but so, uh, thanks so much for listening, you guys. Yep. Thank you. We'll get you next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>